Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. And so instead of me focusing on my goal, I said, you know, let me get a system in place because if I focus on the system, and that means getting up early, uh, eating right, working out, uh, working out on the right things, uh, and then doing that over and over and over again, then my chance of hitting my goal was a lot greater. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Welcome to the Shark Effect. Once again, thank you for tuning in, everyone. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool when I get people on my podcast. Sometimes I do it myself. You know, we you know, kind of tackle a, a different subject or whatnot. But to have different people who come on that I have a relationship with and that I've that I've done some things, some pretty some pretty cool things. You know, some of them are are entrepreneurs, some are business people, some are executives, and some are, you know, former or current athletes. And I get to have um, a guy on that we all can learn from. Um, he's had, you know, a, a, a road traveled that has really um, pointed him in the direction that he's doing or that he's going now. His name is John Charles, and I'm super excited to have him on uh, the Shark Effect. I have a great um um, a great conversation. I want to make sure that, you know, you guys, you know, make sure with these, with my episodes, if you like it, please, please, please leave a rating. Um, also, um, you can download it. You can share it with a friend. 
anything, you know, you can give me feedback. Um, I'm totally fine with that. You know, both good and bad because um, I'm always looking to get better. And, and, you know, with that, that comes some different things that I need to, you know, be able to handle and I, and I can. So anyway, without further ado, John Charles, welcome to the Shark Effect, my man. Yeah. Yeah. John, can you give me, can you give us a, a brief, a brief, like, um, you know, what is John Charles all about? Can you give us a, a, a brief bio? I'll give you, I'll give you three minutes, a three minute bio, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Oh man. So yeah, man, I grew up in uh, East Palo Alto, California. Uh, we called it, um, heaven. We called it hell on earth, a block away from heaven, uh, which is, uh, right across from Stanford. And so growing up through that environment, um, you know, you had to, to be resilient. Um, you had to overcome, um, you know, the abuse, the, um, the, the, you know, just places where you didn't want to go, you didn't want to end up because you ended up either dead or you ended up in jail. And so uh, for us to have to navigate through that, it made us who we are today, and especially for me. Um, going through East Palo Alto, you know, wasn't an easy road travel. Um, you know, I had to figure out a way to educate myself in the middle of all that, you know, and so with the help of, you know, mom, I was able to go to a school that, um, you know, was less, um, you, you know, you didn't have as much um, action, you didn't have as much crime. And that was in Mountain View, California. And so from there, man, I used uh, education and football as an avenue to get me, you know, to college. Um, and I, again, I didn't go the easiest path you know, to uh, Division One college. I ended up having to go to Foothill Junior College. And being a black quarterback back then at that time, you know, before quarterbacks that were around, it was Doug Flutie, Ben Seth. Hold on. Now, so what are you talking about that time? Like back then, when was this? It was back in 1989, back in the 80s, late 80s. Back in the 80s. Okay, okay. And so back then you had Doug Williams, uh, Vince Evans, Rodney Pete, Randall Cunningham, you didn't have many black quarterbacks at that time. And so for me to be one of those guys trying to come up and go to college and be a leader on a football field, um, it wasn't well accepted. And so I ended up having to go to Foothill Junior College, you know, in Los Altos, California, to make my way. Um, and even then, you know, I broke the national record, was an All-American, and still ended up at Portland State. And I don't have any regrets about going to Portland State. Um, because I was able to mm -hmm. still be effective, be a team player, you know, make it in a big market and uh, get a chance to go into the NFL to a training camp. And so from, for, like I said, from going from Foothill to Portland State, you know, it was uh, a learning process because I came out of Foothill thinking, you know, I was, I thought I was a shit. I thought I was, you know, everything, man, I should be at USC. Well, I didn't start when I got to Portland State. I had to earn it. I was second, third string. Mm. And uh, because of a couple of injuries and some unfortunate things, I was able to get a chance to to get on the football field and showcase myself and then uh, be able to help our team win some games. And, you know, again, like I said, get a chance to go into an NFL training camp. Um, so that's a road that I traveled, but it wasn't the easiest. You know, it was the hardest, hardest road to go. Mm. So I want to. Uh you know, making it to an NFL training camp. Because a lot of people, they think, you know, getting a getting a shot at, in the NFL 
and having like a long career, like we all have those different type of dreams. But when it's just like one position, like whether it's a kicker or a quarterback or even, or even like a, a running back, like, you know, when I play corner. Well, on a team, there's there's three corners on the field. You know, there's the nickel and then there's the left and the right corner. There's only one quarterback. So, like, what are the realities that you can kind of share with some of my listeners when you, you know, when you go into a, into a position or uh, on a team, and that can be on a sports team or a corporate team, when there's only like one guy and it's, you know, it's tough to crack it. Like, what insights can you give me and my listeners? Uh, being a quarterback, um, you know, you have to be resilient. You have to have the ability to um, have real mental toughness. You got to be able to lead men, you know, when games are on the line. Uh, and you also have to be able to do the physical part, you know, be able to throw the football, be able to run. You know, it's all situational stuff that you have to do in the middle of pressure. And so if yeah. you want to be good and be a quarterback yeah. and then you're competing, you have to have all of those intangibles. And so those were things that I worked on, you know, and I worked on diligently. And so when you go into a camp or you go join a team, you're going against at least three other guys, you know, and you it's just yeah. timing. You just have yeah. to be able to call the plays, get to the line, you know, uh, check in and out of out of plays and then make the play happen and be successful, you know. And once you get um, that success and get into a, a film room and look at the film and see how you've done, you look over to your left and to your right and you see that the other guy's done the same thing that you have. And so now you got to really go back to the drawing board and figure out how you can get yourself to number one so that you could be that starter on that team. And none of this stuff is guaranteed when you're in there at all. None of this stuff is guaranteed. And so for you to sit down, you got to figure out what you bring to that team. And sometimes it might be just getting along with your players in the locker room. Sometimes it might be, um, you know, being a good runner. Sometimes it might be just throwing the ball, you know, with a lot of pressure around you and not running at all. It's all decision. It's all um, decision based, you know, in that moment. Um, and I would always tell people, you know, when they watch a game from a field, uh, from a fan, as a fan, they're always like, man, you should have thrown two. You should have run. You should have done this. You should have called a timeout. Well, the most important view in the game is the person that's on the field in the game, not from the sideline, not from the press box, because you're seeing it from a different view. And so for me to be on that field, and I'm six foot one, you know, barely six foot two, you know, you had some of these other guys that were six, three, six, four, that could see certain things that I couldn't see. So I had to figure out how to up my game in the middle of the game to help our team win. And that was just simple things like looking between people, you know, having the ability to anticipate, you know, throw the ball with touch, you know, throw, uh, know who my personnel mm -hmm. was. You know, if I was throwing to a receiver that could barely catch, I'm not going to throw him a hot ball. You know, I'm going to throw him one that he can catch and be successful yeah. because his parents are in the fans or, you know, in the stands watching these games. So we're going to help him out, right? Yeah. If I knew a guy was fast, I was yeah. going to leave yeah. him and let him run under. So it's things like that that, um, you know, I had to really try to figure out during the, you know, during my time of competing, you know, as, uh, how I was going to bring that, you know, to the game and be successful. Love that, man. 
Can you tell me, like, what were some of the things that were like those transferable skills that you took from playing? Because I'm assuming you, you know, you played football for a long time, you know, in your youth and then in high school and then in college and then in the pros. Like, what were some of those transferable skills that you took on the field, especially being in that leadership role, you know, just that position of leadership? What did you take from there into off the field, whether it was at, you know, professionally or, or personally or with your family? Um, so back then, I always had two sayings. Um, a goal without a plan is only a wish. And then success is dictated around how well you back, bounce back from negative things. And so I always expected that, you know, things weren't going to always go my way. But how can I adjust, you know, and especially when when pressure's on the line. Uh, and then when I said a goal without a plan is only a wish. You know, you can have a goal and a wish, but if you don't have a plan in place, nothing was going to happen. And so instead of me focusing on my goal, I said, you know, let me get a system in place, because if I focus on the system and that means getting up early, uh, eating right, working out, uh, working out on the right things uh, and then doing that over and over and over again, then my chance of hitting my goal was a lot greater. But if I went out and my system was horrible and it was poor, poor work ethic, eating habits were bad, then that wasn't going to lead me to success. If I did my first rep wrong and then I did the next hundred wrong, then I just became a bad football player. So I really focused on doing the right thing at the right time and then just doing it over and over and over again for repetition. And so now we take what I've learned during the football world and the sports world and then I took that into the work industry and I tried to apply that in the same manner, you know, take things slow, you know, talk it, walk it, jog it, and then run it. And if I had a problem at any point of that, then I always backed up and looked at myself within and said, what can I do better? And what systems do I need to change in order to hit my goals? And so I think that has been the biggest thing that I've been able to take from the athletic world into the business world is to, you know, work on the small things uh, and then they kind of take care of themselves if I'm doing it the right way. Man, I love that insight, man. And, and what I'm taking is for is like having a system and a, a, a proven system because with the routine that creates habits. And, and that's when you get in these habits, hopefully they're the good habits that you want, but that's when you're more likely to have success. Uh, but I want to talk about when you when you finished playing ball, was it a smooth transition into? Um, you know, I mean, because I know you played um, uh, other arena. Did you go to? Did you play up in Canada as well? Okay, okay. Gotcha. So when you, right, because you wanted to keep going. You wanted to keep playing. Yeah. So when was that, or how did that look when you finished, when you finally finished playing football? What Was it a smooth transition or was it like, you know, a part of you was gone and, you know, there was some, some things that, that uh, didn't go your way? That's a good question. So, when I left Portland State University, um, I had to sustain a wrist injury to my left wrist, throwing wrist. 
my again in my dream growing up was to always play in the NFL, be there, you know, try to make it to the Hall of Fame. You know what kids do. And so yeah. for me to break my wrist, go to the nineteen ninety three NFL Combine, uh, and then realize that you know I'm a liability, and then for teams to try to take a risk on me and take a chance to have me come in and be their leader, you know, was next to none. And so the Atlanta Falcons is the one that took that chance. And so when I went into training camp, you know, I'm figuring out how to break the scar tissue up, how to bend my wrist, how to learn how to fall again, how to learn how to get back up, you know, just all of the mental stuff that comes with an injury for the first time that I've had. And so from that, um, you know, I eventually was cut, right? And so when I came back home, you know, I, I came home to, to try to figure out what to do next because I didn't have a plan B. I didn't know what I was going to do next. It was always football, football uh, surrounded. And so I ended up joining this company called Equinox International. And I thought this would be the thing, you know, it saved the well, saved the animals. You know, I could make a lot of money. And when people told me how much money they were making, man, we're making 20000 30000 40000 a month. It never, I never questioned it because I had just seen the checks at the Falcons. You know how they, you know how they put them all on the table, deposit slips, right? <laughs> And the envelopes are still yeah, open, yeah. right? So I never questioned that type of money. So I yeah. joined this company, and it turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. And it led to me being homeless. And so here I am in Portland in the biggest market that I've just played in front of. Everyone knows wow. me. I'm homeless, eating rice with soy sauce just to live, right? Um, it's humbling. And then you got to tell that kid who's asking you for your autograph, you know, with a, with a smile on your face, keep going, kid, right? So I went through that. Yeah. And this is in 93, wow. 94, right? 93, 94, 95. And so I ended up calling the San Jose Sabercats, and I was already lean and in shape because I wasn't eating. So I called Terry Malley, said, hey, man, I'm ready to play. So he sent the rep up here, Darren Arbett, and said, hey, Hold on, was that a... So was that already like a previous relationship that you that you had with that coach? Yes, with Terry, because he was a coach at Santa Clara University. Back when I was at Portland okay. State in high school, I kind of knew him already. And so here he is, the general manager for the Sabercats. And so it was a phone call. And he sent the rep up here. And the guy saw me spin it, you know, and, and then they signed me to a contract with the Sabercats. And so I ended Got up going it. to San Jose, being there for a year in 1996 to 97. Sustained a, a, a right shoulder injury, you know, grade three AC separation. And from that point on, I was like, okay, I need to figure out what I am going to do with my life. And because I didn't have that plan B, I started looking at plan C, D, I just everything. I was trying to be a banker, working title, working insurance, trustees. Uh, and then I finally figured out I could work with juveniles in detention facilities, right? I could relate to that. Okay. Coming from East Palo Alto. Got it. And so that's what led me to that path of, of working with kids um, you know, in and around Portland, you know, trying to help them overcome. Um, and it was the toughest thing, man, to look a kid in the face, you know, and I'm thinking that I'm a failure because I didn't make it, you know, but I never looked at the gifts that were around me and that I was resilient enough to overcome a lot and still be standing, you know, and so. For me to go through that and then hand that down to the next kid was invaluable. Man, I'm getting goosebumps right now because what you're talking about is what what most people, you know, and, and we all 
kind of um, have our own definition for success. And actually, mine has changed over the years is because we all want to be successful. Well, what does that mean? Like for some people, it can be, you know, making a million dollars. For other people, it can be helping people. And for others, it can be like doing your life's work, like your life's purpose. And so I'm glad that you have a, a different perspective because what I'm seeing is, is like, and, and what 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 inspires me is to have, have conversations, have relationships with people who have done some amazing things. But then some some way, somehow, there's a roadblock, whether they put it up themselves or nature or the pandemic or something happens where it takes them down to a very low point. But because they have uh, a foundation of, of who they are, they can start to use, and, and you know, I call it, it's influence, right? And, and leadership, when you boil it down, is influence. And so using whatever those influences for, for you know, for you is to help you climb up and to, to get to your, your new um, definition of success. And you sharing that with your story with a young a young man or young you know young kid, whether they're athlete or not, it's like man that takes an a tr extreme amount of vulnerability, and I'm so thankful that you are vulnerable. You know, saying that you were you were homeless for you know for years, and. Yeah, and and doing like uh, you know, being involved in a Ponzi scheme. Right, right. I was, and it was that, but it was a lot of embarrassment, Alex. I mean, back then in in the eighties, you know, when AIDS came out, you know, we were trying to figure out how you got that. You know, is it through hug? Is it through touch? Is it through kiss? Is it through sex? Is it through what is it? Right? Who handed that to us? Well, my father died of AIDS. He died of AIDS shooting up heroin. He was the guy that tested the drugs. He tested it. He started out with the marijuana. That didn't work. He went to crack. He went to all of that. And that's how he contracted it was shooting up heroin, right, in 1989. So for me to experience that in 1989 and then be told that you're a black quarterback and you're not the norm and we're gonna, you, you're not coming to Division One because you're not the norm, and then coming out of that and you get a wrist injury and then you try to go into the NFL, which is your dream. You're told you're not good enough. And then you come out of that and you whatever money you got from that, now you're looking at a dream and you're saying, okay, I could do this. I could help save the whales. I could help, you know, water filtration and help my family and I can make a lot of money doing it. And then you find out it's a Ponzi scheme. And then you go homeless. <laughs> right? Right. And then you go back to try to play again and you think, OK, now I'm back. You know, Kurt Warner story. I can make yeah, these throws, yeah. right. This is back in 96 when Kurt Warner wasn't even Kurt Warner yet. That's right. We, That's we, played, right. we played against the guy. Right. So to go wow. from that injury and then say, you know, what, I need to go back in the, in the uh, workforce and trust these business owners that they're not a Ponzi scheme either. You know, I got to trust yeah. that if I get any type of success, that it's not going to be taken away from me. I got to trust that yeah. the people that are around me aren't scheming and scamming and using drugs, that they die, that I lose them. So I didn't trust anybody. I didn't even trust myself. And so to go from all of those different things 
and still be resilient and still try to overcome and still try to influence and still, and I'm working with kids now. I'm working with someone else's child with a smile on my face, but in behind the scenes, I'm pretending. That was humbling. That was humbling. And so it continued. And so now here I am working with kids, but it wasn't good enough for me to work with a kid who was just on probation. I ended up going to work at McLaren Youth Corrections out in Woodburn. And I lived in Vancouver and I would drive to Woodburn every single day. I lost money and gas alone. That was an hour, 15 minute drive. And so for me to get there and work with these kids, you're working with drug, drug addicted, sex offenders, violent offenders, uh, long-term offenders, uh, low emotional uh, offenders, right? Five different yeah. types, 382 inmates. Well, I go work there yeah. and my boss was the head of the Gypsy Jokers. The people he hired were in his bike gang. He never disrespected me, but he had those people who were doing the disrespecting. So I worked in that type of environment. And you're working with all of these kids, these manipulative minds. All they have is time to figure you out and try to take from you. Right? So I'm working in this environment. I got arrested working there. Because of an inmate, that, yes, because of an inmate that said that I spit on. Him. So here we go. I've gone through all of this stuff throughout my whole life. And then I go work with some kids because I have the passion to work with these kids. And we have one inmate who's in solitary confinement who basically, you know, five times fell and just doing things, covering his window. No one wanted to come in and get him. So we have to put riot gear on to get this guy. Well, I'm the shield guy. He threw urine in my face. But I forgot he threw the urine in my face and I swallowed. So what was salty wasn't my sweat. It was it was his urine. And so I let that stuff drool, man. I let it drool and it hit him. And they said I spit on him and they arrested me at work. So now I go home. I suffered a thumb injury because, again, I'm the shield guy. And that handle from that shield, yeah, yeah I suffered that injury. I had surgery. And I laid in bed, man, for two, for two three weeks, not moving. And I prayed and said, Lord, I'm not moving until you tell me what it is that you want me to do. I got a cast on my wrist. I just got convicted of harassment that they said I spit on a kid that never happened. And so what am I doing? What am I doing? I've seen this before. What am I doing? And so I stared at that ceiling, man. And then finally I said, you know what? I'm going to go through this checklist and figure, you know, I'm going to figure out what my love is and what my passion is. And then I'm going to figure out a way to get paid doing it. I'm going to do it for free up front. Because if you do something that is your passion, you won't look at the clock. Time will go by so fast that you're like, wow, right, man, what, what? It's six o'clock already? So I figured it out, and it was to work with kids in football. And I did it for free. I grabbed a a five-year-old. I grabbed a 10-year-old. I grabbed a 16-year-old. And they grabbed a 19-year-old. And I covered each grave of them in Vancouver, Washington. And I did it for free. And they were shocked that I was doing it for free. But I, it helped me to figure out, okay, I'm working him too hard. Oh, I'm not working him hard enough. I got him throwing too much. Oh, he's doing too much footwork and he needs more throws. I figured the recipe out in working with these kids. And then I figured out how to ask for 5 bucks. Then I figured out how to ask for 10 And then it turned into 20 And once it hit 40 now I'm saying 60 and then I'm squinting at 80 because I don't think that I'm good enough and worth that much. 
And then I'm saying 120, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that too much? And these parents are telling me that's not enough. These parents and people believed in me more than I believed in myself. And so when I came up with that name, I had called it, it was Era 14 because of my jersey number. But because I had the vision and the insight to say this is going to be a bigger thing down the road, let me go ahead and pull up Google and look nationally and type in Air 14 because this is going to be bigger. And I seen it was Air 14 out of Texas, and there was a guy, Kevin Murray. And when I saw the website, I was like, man, just disappointment because I really wanted Air 14. And I saw Mm -hmm. on this video, he had a little caption, a little video of this little kid throwing, and it turned out to be Kyler Murray's father. So it was Kyler Murray. Oh, wow. Right. Right. Wow. So immediately I took the four off of Air 14. I took the four off and then called it Air 1. And that's how I came out of Air 1. And from that point on, right? And we had 12 camps, you know, 22 camps a year uh, since 2010. Since being arrested all the way to 2019. Right? So, Mm. um, yeah. and And it was tough. It was tough because of all of the hoops and you know, the overcoming to be arrested and, and told you're not good enough and you gave all your money up and then you're homeless and all your dad died. You know, that was my first love. Yeah. Didn't trust. I didn't trust anybody. Yeah. So, right. Right. So that is something, man. Right. So, yeah. So, so we talk about, you know, I mean, definitely like resilience. What is something else that has really like, you know, helped you throughout the years Going from from that moment, like when you were, you know, you start to, you know, you land up in the um, in the in the hospital or at home with the with, with the cast on your arm, trying to figure things out. Because I think those are the times, those are the moments, those are crossroads that really shape us. Like, can you tell us more about, like, man, what decision or what did you base that decision on? When you was laid up, you know, you about to go to, you know, go to jail for something that you were innocent of. Like, what was what was some of the things that was going through your mind that helped you like, man, I want to do this? It, it was mentality. You know, I had overcome so much and I had friends that were under the ground. They're dead. I have friends that are in prison that wish that they were out. And then here I am. I have this freedom. And instead, I was so negative. I was looking down at the ground at the dead leaves instead of looking up at the trees, at the live ones. And so I realized that it was my mentality. And so, you know, I always tell people now to this day that the story I stick with, it's like a lion, you know, like how did he become the king of the jungle? You know, it was his mentality, right? He's not the biggest because that's the elephant and he's not the fastest because that's the cheetah and he's definitely not the smartest because those are the um, hyenas, right? And so if we mm-hmm. already know that he's not the biggest, fastest, or the smartest, what was the difference? It was his mentality. That's what it was. When he saw the elephant, he thought lunch. When the elephant saw him, the elephant thought run. And so you put that same lion in a pack of hyenas, they're going to laugh because that's their nature. But they're going to try to eat you at the same time. But he looked mm-hmm. back and said, no, it's my mentality. Get away from me. I'm the king. And so in those moments when I was arrested and I'm laying there in bed with that cast on my hand, I was thinking, I need to change my mentality. I'm the lion. I'm the king. I'm resilient. I overcame a lot. And so it's my job to be able to go out there and put it, put in the hard work, put it all together. I got to put it all together. Every The work ethic I learned when I was growing up, 
right, from East Palo Alto, mm -hmm. uh, the resiliency to get up and have a good system in place. I had to put all of that together in the middle of the storm. And so that's when I said, Lord, what do I need to do? What is it that I need to do? What's my passion? What's my passion? Not not something that 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 if I get tired of it after week two, now I want to quit. What is my passion? Yeah. And it took me it took me a couple of weeks to figure it out. And I was like, man, it's football. Because I did baseball and basketball too. It could have been one of those. But it was mm -hmm. football. And then in what capacity, right? And once I figured yeah. out that passion, dude, I was doing, I would go, because you had, you know, in Vancouver, Washington, you had Bowflex. It's the HP field. I would go there. Yeah, that's right. Alex, I swear to you, I would go at 7.30 in the morning and still be there at 8 at night. Every hour on the hour. I would see employees come and employees leave it, the same ones leaving. And they're looking at me like, how are you doing this? And I'm looking at them like, what, what are you talking about? And they're saying, dude, it's 100 degrees out. It's 90 degrees out. But I didn't know that. Because just like you put a frog in cold water and turn that heat up, he don't know he's yeah. boiling. He don't know he's boiling, yeah. right? But if yeah. I came out there at 4 in the afternoon and walked out on that field, now I'm realizing it's hot. This is a, this is a hot pot of water. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I had yeah. I had no idea of what I was doing. I was just going through it, man. And it was day in and day out, 12 hours a day. And that's how I made that's it. What I'm that's grinding. That's, that's how that's I made grinded. it. It was my mentality. That's it. Love that. So how do you like and I'm very interested to hear your perspective on this, but like, how do you use adversity now? Because it sounds like you've been through a lot. How do you use it now? Because I see adversity different than a lot of folks. And really to the point like where my kids, I want them to, I, I'm not going to give them no easy way out. And I see a lot of parents, especially sports parents, that when things um, don't go their way, when their son or daughter isn't getting enough playing time, and I see it also at the college level. They jump ship. They leave. They transfer. They they get in the portal. And I see that. I'm like, that's a, that's a missed opportunity, right? That's a missed opportunity. So how do you how do you view adversity? Uh, so first off, you got to set goals again. And if you set goals for yourself, uh, then you kind of have a finish line. You right? Goals without a plan is only a wish. And so. Um, for me, I realized that there are going to be ups and downs along the way and things there are going to be some negative things that come. And so for me, I have said in my mind that thoughts are things. Thoughts are things. And if I think negative, then it's going to happen. If I think positive, then that can happen. Whenever storms come, I'm grabbing for the, the biggest tree, right? I'm holding on to the branch because I know when that, storm, right? when that storm passes, now I could dust myself off and figure out which direction I was walking, right? A lot of people let go and just go with the storm and then they give up and, you know, and then they look up and they're in a situation that they don't want to be in. And so for me, I just have it set in my mind that thoughts are things and just be positive. When a storm comes, hang on, that it's going to pass, you know, and then good things usually happen for me. Um, adversity is always going to be there. So I'm always set for that, you know, and there's, Things that are going to happen in life, you're going to always pay taxes. Everybody dies. You know, <laughs> we're going to have adversity. And so yeah. I just 
had it set in my mind that since I've been a child and have overcome all this stuff, you know, that this is nothing. This is nothing. Someone in Ukraine is dying right now, right? Someone uh, in Mississippi just passed and they just got buried. And so what am I, what's wrong with me? I'm above ground and I still have a chance. I need to change my mentality. I'm going to be all right. And so that's, for me, adversity, whenever I see it, you know, it's just thoughts of things, and then I'm going to just power through it and be happy. Love that. What is, John, what is leadership? And then how do you use it? How do you how do you use it on a day-to-day basis? Question. So leadership to me, man, is, um, and it can be listening. You know, it could be listening to someone who's wise and has given some knowledge. Um, leadership can be taking lead in a situation where you need to because you see some people uh, that are relying on you. Um, for me, um, leadership in my life, I'm a good leader, but I've learned to listen. You know, I'm not a know-it-all. Um, I'm always willing to write down, you know, notes. And even if I know the answer, I'm still willing to write it down as if I've never heard it because I might hear a little bit more in the message. Um, you know, uh, I try to pass down, you know, wisdom or stuff that I've learned, you know, mm-hmm. uh, give it down to other people, you know, pay it forward. Um, you know, once people trust you, you know, like they trust me, um, then they'll follow, they'll follow. And if there's something that I don't know, um, because I have a lot of friends, uh, because I have a lot of people that I know, uh, just through life things, I'm able to direct, uh, you know, and get these people going in the right areas. Um, so I think leadership just has a many, a lot of different facets. It's, again, listening is leader, you know, being a leader is leader, um, you know, saying, hey, you know what, I was wrong, you know, that's owning up to it. You know, leaders do that. Leaders do that. Leaders do that. Forgiveness, showing grace, being kind. Leaders do that, you know, um, because they're dealing with a lot of people. I deal with a lot of people, so I got to be able to have all of that in my repertoire and use it when it's necessary. That's good, man. Tell me, you know, because, of course, my podcast is called The Shark Effect. And my shark effect was when I had a young, a young whippersnapper, Quentin Jammer, <laughs> who, who was trying to take my job. And I was in my eighth year in the NFL and I had this young cat trying to, you know, trying to take what, what was, I thought was mine. And because of the things that I've, that I've learned, and even though, you know, he was, he, his ability was far greater than mine, but I had a framework. I had a system that no matter how fast, you know, you know, the speed on this stuff was gone, but my, my knowledge and my ability to communicate and my, my three things that kept me, you know, they, they gave me success on the field, assignment, alignment, and adjustment. I followed those three things, even though I had a shark in my tank, what shark has ever been in your tank, whether it's in sports or out of sports that, that kind of motivated you, that caused you to refocus and have success? Yeah, I would say um, when you're told you're not good enough, you know, being again a black quarterback, I was left-handed, you know, I wasn't the fastest in the world, but I looked and used all the tools that I knew that I had. You know, if I wasn't fast and couldn't run for 20 yards on a scramble, you know, I made sure that I had the quickest feet to avoid people sacking me in the middle of pressure, um, high pressure situations. 
uh, I use my arm, you know, as that, you know, to get get the yards, right? And it was very, very accurate. Um, and so to have those intangibles and be a black quarterback, you know, I've had college coaches come up who thought I was white, right-handed, right, and a little bit taller, <laughs> and they told me no. So that's that was the shark in my tank, is that I'm going to prove all of these people wrong and that I can make it, that I am good, just because of the color of my skin, that I can be a leader, you know, that I, I don't have to play running back, I don't have to play receiver and other skill positions, that I can think for myself, that I can audible at the line, that I can win games, right, that I can get in front of the camera and not say um and uh, right, that I'll have to repeat myself. So that was the shark in the tank for me. And again, back then you had four quarterbacks, four black ones, right, Rodney Pete, Randall Cunningham, Doug Williams and Vince Evans. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And so for me to say I'm number five, yeah, I had yeah. to go through some hoops. I had to let that shark know that I could do it. I could do it. Right? And they weren't going to root yeah. for me. They wanted someone else and they weren't going to root for me. So I had to root for myself and push myself through. So that yeah. shark that was in that tank, you know, it wasn't there anymore. You know, but then the injuries and all of the other stuff in life started to happen which became Sharks, but I didn't know at the time. Mm, love that, man. John, man, you're one of the most positive cats, and I've, I've known you for, for decades, but, you know, every time you have something positive to say, you got a big smile on your face. You know, can you tell my listeners, like, how they can get more of you? Are you on social media? You got some, I, I know I, I got to get me some some barbecue sauce. I know you I know you got the barbecue sauce. I need to get me some. Can you share some of that information, my man? Yeah, yeah. So when I stopped, you know, when I had my football academy in Portland, um, you know, people were coming from all over the country to train. And from that, um, it led me to here to Primeville. Um, and so now I live in Central Oregon. Um, I started a barbecue sauce called John John's Barbecue Sauce. The sauce is so good, even the meat asked for it by name, right? Um <laughs> People could buy it, right? It's in 20 stores here, but I'm going to uh, uh, branch out now when the summer hits. I just had to figure out distribution and how things work here local. Uh, and so uh, that I ship still across the country. Um, I'm still training quarterbacks. You know, they'll come in. I got some coming Monday, right, from Sacramento. So I'm still doing okay. that. Um, you know, I work at the treatment facility helping kids. I'm substitute teaching you know, helping here at the local middle schools. And so I'm wearing four or five hats, but, you know, again, managing that time uh, to be able to do other things. You know, people can reach out to me uh, through Facebook. I have a social media presence. Uh, I have a website for the barbecue sauce, you know, numbers, phone numbers are on there. You know, I'm always accessible. Well, what's the website? Yep, it's John John, www.johnjohnsbbqsauce.com. Okay, I'm gonna have all this stuff on the show notes. This website, um, uh, your your social media. If 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 somebody wants you to to coach them up with quarterback or coach their kid up, how can they find you? It's the same same thing. Get you okay. All right, all right. That's good, man. But hey, John, man, thank you so much for being a guest on the Shark Effect. Um, I'm sure, man. I'm inspired. I love being inspired, and I'm. And, you know, I know your story and you owning that story is going to inspire a lot of other people, man. So thank you very much. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking tr- to transition, what, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever. If you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter developing your own procedures creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right because we all go through tough times but how do you flip it how do you use it to power you okay and then developing your own standards so these are things that can help anybody not just not just athletes now there's some stories in there you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.